You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at the 20th episode of Star Hunter Redux, entitled Bad Seed. And it's been almost two weeks since I watched this episode, so I I hope my notes are good. All right. (laughs) Let's see. Synopsis. Navare, Orchard High Muckety Muck and Substitute Darius, decides it's time to choose. He is at odds with Tosca. Another Orchard High Muckety Muck and Substitute Paquette. It's the whole internal Orchard study it more, force it debate that's basically been forgotten since episode one. Tosca has sent a team to retrieve Dante Montana because apparently it turns out someone thinks he's important. Her team raid the Transutopian, kidnap Dante, reprogram Caravaggio for evil and meanness instead of good and niceness, and then order him to kill the crew and self-destruct the ship. Navare intercedes. He arrives on the Transutopian in time to save Lucretia and Percy, who are being slowly and inefficiently gassed to death. He introduces himself to Lucretia. I'm an old ally of your dad you've never met and he's never mentioned before. I'll be filling in for him in this story since he's dead. Meanwhile, Dante has been given a Divinity Cluster cocktail so that he can psychically link to his missing son, Travis. Tosca wants to find Travis. Why? Because Dante's wife was also one of the evil orchard researchers and was conducting medical experiments on herself during her pregnancy, resulting in Travis, the star child. Or maybe none of it's true, since Dante, in his own drugged mind, talks with Penny, his dead wife, but she concedes that he's just talking to himself and isn't getting any information he doesn't already have. Meanwhile, Percy's been dealing poorly with Caravaggio. Whatever. Navarre and Lucretia, with the aid of Confederates, break into the station where Dante is being held, rescue him, and give him an anti-divinity cluster cocktail. Lucretia and Dante flee back to the Transutopian. Aboard the Transutopian, amongst the mess of Percy's room, she's found the smashed kaleidoscope she got back in goodbye so long. Inside, she finds the seeds everyone was looking for. A young raider woman boards the Transutopian and holds Percy at gunpoint. She's there from Travis, Montana, to get the device Dante uses to talk to his dead wife. She gives it to her, but hides the seeds somewhere. Sensing a chance to finally find Travis, Percy goes along with a raider on the excuse that the Penny Walkman is difficult to use. She leaves a message with Caravaggio for Dante that she'll be back, which, for reasons not clear, Caravaggio does not give to Dante when he inquires about Percy's whereabouts. Dante and Lucretia see the raider shuttle leaving the Transutopian and decide to give chase. All right. Um, yes, bad seat. What do you think of Bad Seed? I rather enjoy it. I've very uh, over the years of watching it, I've almost committed it to memory actually, and I watched it within the last hour and a half, and I realized I was almost reciting the lines. I can do that with Moonraker, but uh... I can do it with Star Trek Two. Oh yeah, Star Trek Two. That one's yeah, yeah. And Cas and, and, and Casablanca. But uh, 
You know, I didn't hate it. As with all stories, the less Percy, the better. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm beginning to, I, I'm, you know, the, I think the biggest thing here is I'm definitely not convinced that the, the you know, some of the Grandmaster Plan stuff that, that you have been alluding to, which I see as being you know, somebody making things and then throwing them on the floor and then later on deciding, now, can I jam this square peg in a round hole? But one thing that seems painfully obvious is that in the first episode, we have Darius and Paquette with their, you know, the one and only time the two of them were ever on screen and actually talking philosophically about what the heck they're doing, which, of course, we knew nothing about what they were talking about at that time. Here it is played up in the final episode, and it's so obvious that something must have gone wrong in the casting department because this should be Darius and Paquette. It, it's, it's like this is what those that opening bit was set up for, and yet it's not. Well, at least Navarre and Paquette, I suppose. Um but again, of course, um, Darius is dead, and um, actors sometimes get other work. So recasting right. they may have to happen. Right. They may have just they may have had to to write him out, uh, both of them, for whatever reasons. But it, this is the one piece that feels like it was set up all along. Um, some of the other stuff, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my case for why it's obvious that it was not actually set up all along. But that that is the one thing, and it's. And it's the biggest pity that they couldn't actually get the I mean, I don't know what Navarre is going to do in the next episode, if anything. You know, if he'll even be back. And it, it doesn't really matter. But well, Actually, both um, Navarre and Tosca are in the next two episodes. I would expect to, Well, I'm counting the next episode. And this episode is the first part of a, of a three-part finale. You know, whatever, whatever happens there might... Might change my opinion a little bit, particularly with regards, to, not with regards to Tosca and Paquette. They're obviously, that's just Paquette substituted in place because they couldn't get her. With regards to Navarre, the only thing that, you know, could play out differently is that he's more ambiguous than Darius. And frankly, Darius was so ambiguous uh, and and awful towards Lucretia that it doesn't matter what Navarre does. I would go, yeah, I could see, I could see Darius do that. Uh, in the end so all right where do you want to start all right i am i have again i have pages of notes here also also, two pages of notes single spaced and two lines on the third page let's see here start at the beginning of the episode how about that okay i hear i hear the beginning is a very good place to start to to quote a certain movie so (laughs) the um um, what do we make of Dante's dream? Dante's dream. Are we at, there's a dream at the beginning. There is. Hold on. Now let me go get my unexpurgated note. Jupiter, Dante shirtless, run, wandering, transutopian, sees himself in bed. Caravaggio doing a something scan. Raiders. Okay, have I passed the dream already? Yes, you just just passed the dream. Okay, in his dream, he's roaming around the ship, and he sees himself. And I have, uh, in the the most recent time, uh, which is to say within the last hour and a half, 
that I watched this episode. I think I may have cracked the code um, of what the dream means. And the clue is in Dante's assumption that the people rousting him out of bed are raiders. And, and so I think, and also putting this together with the rest of the episode and the next two episodes, I suspect that is um, that the, the uh, one of those Dantes in that dream is a stand-in for Travis. Are you saying that Dante has some uh, magical uh, psychic power, or that this no. is not Dante having that dream? No, I think it's Dante having a dream. I think that in inside the dream, um, that one of the Dante's is a stand-in for Travis. That he's, he's he's dreaming of seeing his son, but he somehow made the son look like himself. That's to the that's point. It's not an uncommon. Yeah, that's my guess. Okay, but we have to believe, which I don't, that dreams have any significance or meaning. Oh, I don't. In I, terms I, I, of in, in terms of of foretelling the future. So anything Dante is doing here is just Dante dreaming about his son. Yes. And it, it it can't be indicative of anything in reality. That's right. Dante is talking to himself, whether it's a dream where he's having a dream or he's um, having a vision of his dead wife. He's still talking to himself. Okay. Which he's done kind of throughout the story. So, I mean, it's just part of the psyche obsessive makeup of the character. Right. I mean, I now I remember it enough to remember why I left it out of the synopsis. It just seemed to me like they were maybe I, I I'm going to go I'll go out on this limb and say that I think my biggest complaint with this episode, apart from the inclusion of Percy, which is always my biggest complaint about any episode, but my biggest complaint about this episode is that suddenly Dante is important which he clearly is not, and he has clearly never been important. And, but now suddenly he is. And I'll, I have a reason why I will go with that. But, and I don't like that kind of storytelling. Um, you know, th- there isn't a Chekhov's gun for this. And if there is a Chekhov's gun, it didn't have a trigger and all the screws had been removed and it was unloaded because, uh, you know, none of what's happened actually makes sense in the context of Dante actually being important or that Travis is important and that the orchard's been trying his, an interest in finding him. Except perhaps um, for this. Um, point number one. How many times has the orchard had the chance to to blow up the tulip? Oh, yeah. Plenty of times. And, 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 and this is, this and, is where and, I'm going to make... And why haven't they pulled the trigger yet? This is why I'm going to make the argument that says the gun is unloaded and doesn't have a trigger or screws. It's because if the if Dante was important, if Travis was important, then somebody would have freaking told Lucretia and said, help him find his son. But they didn't. Never once. No indication that Lucretia had the slightest interest, slightest care. Nobody bothered to tell her. The orchard's put an operative, theoretically put an operative on the ship to follow Travis or to follow Dante, which you could make that argument, right? In the same way that you could make the argument, well, they didn't blow the ship up. So they must've had a reason that they wanted to keep Dante alive. But at the same time, they wanted to keep tabs on him. But Lucretia doesn't know that she's supposed to be keeping tabs on him in that way. And she didn't know that they needed to find Travis. So I, I, 
it, it feels retcon, not planned con. It, it, it does not, it doesn't fit with what we have seen up to this point. It feels like somebody looking at the things that they did and said, well, we could never kill the guy because <laughs> he's, quote, and you can't see the air quotes, our hero. Um, so it's always been an unsatisfying, why don't they just blow him up? It made sense when Lucretia was aboard because she's an orchard operative and they didn't want to kill one of their own, even if they thought she was unreliable. But and, and the whole thing with Penny has been so poorly handled with regards to her, 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 uh, whatever the heck it was she was doing in her experiments, which don't seem to have any logical connection to working on the divinity cluster. And, you know, I mean, that, that has felt like a half forgotten bad idea through, you know, at some point they just dropped the whole Penny thing. And then here it is suddenly back. And now Penny's an evil operative, which as we know, we don't know that because Dante's not psychic. The divinity cluster didn't help him commune. That is his imagination. And now he's running wild with it. And for all we know, he never even saw Penny inject herself with something. He just is now interpreting things that he's thought of in the past. Or or she did, and it was just an ordinary vitamin supplement. Who knows? It is not hanging together for me here. I can see them trying, but I, I'm not... I, I, this is, this is the bad wolf. This is, this is just write this into the episode. Every writer, you just put something in there and I'll figure it out by the end. I'll figure it out. Just, you just do. And that's, it it really is not, it it doesn't seem to fit. Um, and, and why wait is, is the, I mean, Tosca, Pasquette, they were all gung ho anyway. So unless they did know, in which case, then the coincidence of them putting Lucretia on that ship becomes, I mean, unless every fourth person in the universe is an orchard operative, which I suppose they might be at some level. I don't know. I, I, it's not feeling satisfying to me, like that they've, that they've thought this out. That's my major thing about this episode. It's like, it doesn't make sense if you try to say that they've known that this has been going on ongoing the whole time. But there we go. I really appreciate the fact that Percy wasn't in it much. And I appreciate the fact that she's basically a miserable failure trying to stop Caravaggio. Uh, you know, that fits. So all of that, pretty good. The fact that it took her, what was it, 90 minutes before the idea of rebooting came to her mind says that... You know, a quick call to the help desk could have answered that one. Uh, My computer is about to blow up the ship. What do I do? Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? (laughs) Some genius she is. Self-professed genius. Um, So, yeah, I mean, those are the those are the things. And, And why? Why? Why gas them to death and then blow up the ship? Why not just blow up the ship? I don't know. It just. Or slowly gas them to why slowly gas them to death? <laughs> all all of those things kind of just don't. Speaking of slowly, uh, did you notice the time frame? Uh, doesn't stand out, but again, unlike you, it's been two weeks since I watched this episode. Well, it I, doesn't I, yeah. take very long. I took notes here, and um, this must only be over the course of about three hours. Try four days. Four days. Yes. 
it's in dialogue. Uh, there's a reference to uh, 36 hours at one point. Uh, and then it keeps on going from there. But it takes this place, this takes, this takes place over days. And it's very interesting that um, it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but again, we have a lot of um, must have some time between scenes. Okay, let's let's try to piece this together. Then they come on board. Let's start with when they kidnap Dante. Okay, right, right. All right, they kidnap Dante, and at the exact same time, they put Percy and Lucretia locked in their cabinets. They reprogram the AI. And they tell it to gas them to death. All right? Yeah. Three days there, I guess, maybe. Maybe it took them a long time to reprogram the AI. Because we've got a fairly good grasp of time for the rest of this episode. Because, hear me out, you have, uh, I don't know how long the gassing is supposed to take place for for Lucretia and Penny. uh, Percy, I got that one confused. Um, But I doubt it's three days. So, Navarre after the operation is in effect, leaves whatever space station he's at, goes to the Transutopian and rescues them before they die of being gassed to death. Then he lets them out. Maybe, you know, maybe half hour, hour, two hours go by while Penny, Percy is still trapped in um, her quarters and he's trying to convince Lucretia, maybe, maybe, you know, there's a little bit of time. It doesn't feel like that. But then she gets out and she immediately starts work on the the computer. And it's pretty darn close at that point that you've only got, there was some weird number too. The first self-destruct sequence was really bizarre length of time. 59 minutes. No, that was the second one. Yes. 35 minutes. Auto-destruct in 35 minutes. And then she gets close. She restarts it. She gets it fixed. And she gets uh, 59 more minutes. So that means that the entire drama with Percy work and the computer took place over 90 minutes, during which time it feels like Lucretia got to the space station and they busted Dante out. And then, because of the way they're splicing it back and forth, then the raider chick comes on board, and she's there for an unknown period of time. But when she and Percy leave, the ship's still in sight when Dante and Lucretia... No, it did not possibly take place over three days. It had to take place over the course of less than eight hours. Had to. I just mentioned, um, there's some little internal clues. I was trying to figure out, what's the time frame? But in universe, the uh, Tosca and her crew were, and her bunch of armed guards were on the ship for 18 minutes. Ah, yes, there we go. And, so it uh, did not it, take them that long. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, so I'm not sure. I just noticed those little details. The, and, and anyhow, um, that's, I thought that was all very odd, but what do I know? What, 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 what was it that said in dialogue that it was 36 hours? There was at one point it was thirty six hours since the since the reprogramming at one point the reprogramming being oh of the AI okay yeah. huh that's wasn't possibly thirty six minutes I mean I, I'm I'm not no. I'm not disputing that they may have said that I didn't yeah. pick up on it well, I'm, I just I'm just going it, by what it just we saw on screen yeah. yeah it just stuck out in my mind like okay. This would not be the most the the first instance of inconsistency in in the 
dialogue in the show. So I don't know. I mean, you know, once you start cutting back and forth between Percy and Lucretia, you know, yes, you could be running one at an extremely accelerated rate over the other. Because obviously... It's the only way that uh, makes any sense. But, you know, by when you by switching back and forth, you create you create the illusion of them happening at the same time. But as I say, basically the Raider ship's still in sight when Dante and Lucretia yeah. arrive. So yes. maybe maybe Raider girl searched the ship for a long time, but it, it kind of sounds like Percy just handed it over really quickly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's... um. I noticed those little details this time around. The um, see also I go through my notes here. The writer is Julian Ficus. We have seen his four other episodes. All right, remind me which. The man who sold the world, which is with Doctor Novak hiding out on Pluto. Mm-hmm. Order or Covan. Yes, or Covan. Yes, Order, which is the one with the cult that the cult yeah died out died in the sun. Um, the third one, Black Light. It's with Colonel Bramwell. Yep. Um, and then the fourth one, Supermax. Oh, okay. Uh, he's all over the place. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like, for example, Order in particular, you know, we had this talk that some of the things that the Divinity Cluster manifests itself, or what we're told retroactively that the Divinity Cluster manifests itself, don't have a unified feel to them. And so I could totally see, and again, using that bad wolf analogy, it's like, here your remit to write a story is that it needs to have somebody manifesting some psychic dimensional power. And so, you know, it, it's almost like the head writer is telling somebody else to fill in an arc story. And they just don't quite gel with with what we've seen before, or what we see afterwards. And an order is that man who sold the world is not quite as... Bad is that because we don't really see anything manifesting itself. We just see somebody talking about the fact that they were that they were experimenting about it. We don't learn anything about the experiments. And so I'm then surprised that he goes on to two episodes, which as far as I can tell, have absolutely nothing at all to do with the Divinity Cluster. Blacklight, I don't remember anything about that except that old Colonel Thunderguts uh, wanted to blow up the Raiders. That's the one. And but it there was nothing there was nothing psychically human transcendental in it, and then there was uh, Supermax, which is just so out of left field that it, it's it's uh, there's no pattern to this guy's work. I don't see any similarity in those episodes at no, all. No, it's not a it's not a, a, a staff writer fake name, is it? Pseudonym? No, it's a guy. It's an actual person, and the director is John Older, and uh, he's um, a first assistant director on a number of shows. Um, I have his IMDb page in front of me, but I thought other shows. Yes, not, yes, not I, this yes one. I, he actually is on Star Hunter Redux. Yes, but also, I thought you might find this interesting. In seasons one and two of New Doctor Who, he was the first assistant director. For the Empty Child, the Doctor dances. 
the Christmas Invasion, New Earth, and School Reunion? Well, I'm going to be absolutely uh, frank and say I don't know what a first assistant director actually does. Some of those some of those titles mean you do the work that the director when he's busy <laughs> right. doing something, and others are my first assistant director is the guy who gets me my coffee. I, I honestly don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but I somehow doubt that first assistant director has a lot of take on the vision of an episode. So, I mean, I don't think we can draw a parallel between this and what was on Doctor Who in those, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure the directors and the cinematographer are the people who still set the look and tone uh, of the show. But I could see how a first assistant, depending on what a first assistant director does, we could just just Google this. Um, But that makes for fascinating podcasting is listening to me type um yeah, <laughs> instead yeah. it's it's more fun just to speculate we have um uh you know i i would see it as probably it's a great place to learn to be a director though yeah which would explain why he was one on other shows and then did one here and they said hey you want your you know you want your shot take it if this is his first directing full directing credit yeah, it looks like it okay so did he go on and do a lot more of that or did he go back to first assistant director I'm looking at a whole lot of first assistant director, Chris. Let me look at director on filmography. This is his um, only one where he is a straight-up director. Huh. That... Everything else, he's assistant director or first assistant director. I would say... All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Because Google... Hey, the first assistant director has overall assistant director responsibilities... Thanks. And supervises the second assistant director. <laughs> the, first is direct, yeah, the first is directly responsible to the director and runs the floor or set. The first AD and the unit production manager are the two of the highest below the line technical roles in filmmaking as opposed to creative or above the line roles. And so in this strict sense, the role of first AD is non-creative. Their responsibility is to keep the production on schedule throughout the day, communicate to the entire crew, and to maintain the safety and security of the staff and shot itself. An assistant director must be very good at estimating how long a scene will take, sometimes a scene running to a few pages long on the screen page and can be shot relatively quickly, while a half-page emotional key moment might take all day. And then it goes on to the other kinds of directors. So he is um, he's a, 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 the, the man that moves things and gets things, not physically moves things, but makes sure things are ready for the director, basically, to do, to do the work. So it's, okay, I'll, I'll say this right now. Um, my reservations about this episode, it's clear that this is a key episode. Of the show, you know, there's a few. It's a, it's a, if you will, it's an arc story. If you use X Files terminology, it's really surprising that they would put a first assistant director on his first job as a director on that type of an episode. You'd think Supermax would be a much better, yeah, place or something. That. You know, something disposable. But that's kind of weird. It's almost like maybe he stepped in. Yeah. That has happened in production, and something's happened yeah. with the, the schedule director, and we, we're on a schedule. Um, we have to start filming tomorrow. Go for it. I wonder, how the, I wonder how the union rules work for that, because they always have a... I mean, I guess it, 
that must be an easier one than than getting into acting. I don't know. Interesting. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't hate it. The directing. How about that? I mean, I, I didn't notice it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so usually that's. I, I either notice good directing or I notice really bad directing. And there has been some bad directing, but I didn't notice it. I mean, I don't like the. I I didn't really think the dream sequence added much to it and it was kind of i don't know ordinary but and i'm a little uh and i'm assuming this is probably a directorial choice but who knows um the bit about yellow and blue caravaggio being flipped and flipped and backwards and talking to themselves i'm sure the talking obviously was in dialogue in the script but just the way it was realized was kind of hackneyed (laughs) just yeah, you know what I mean? It just it was like, okay, well, I guess what are you going to do with it? But I, I don't have any brilliant ideas, yeah. but I, I think I'd have given the fake... I'd have given Blue Caravaggio a, a mustache or something, or no, a goatee. No. I think that no. would have been more uh, telling. But Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. I did notice also... Uh, also, when I watch this series, I like to... And people mention... People use their passcodes. I like to pay attention to what those are. And... Here's one that is full of irony. Do you remember Navarre's passcode? No. Oh, uh, you mean the the uh, the Greek reference? Uh, yes. The yeah, I have it. I do actually have it written down here somewhere. I don't have it in the synopsis, but it's uh, uh, Medu- uh, not Medusa's. It's um, Cassandra's warning ignored. Something like that. Heated. Heated. Cassandra's warning heated. What, I thought the whole point. I, I, I thought the whole point in the Iliad was that people did not heed cassandra's warning that is the curse but um apparently someone is apparently someone had a fine sense of the classics and irony all right i I would go so far as to say that that stood a far greater chance of having hidden meaning than dante's dream at the beginning so what what can we what what can we draw from that um thinking in terms of the character of nefari we know that so the history of Correct me if I'm wrong, but my, I think, is Cassandra was asked for, I, can't, I forget how she got it, but she was given the power of the second sight that she could foretell the future. But I can't remember if the same person who gave it to her also cursed her with the fact that no one will listen to you. Yes. And, and no one will believe you. And exactly. So, and so she said, don't open that horse. Mm-hmm. People opened the horse. Yeah. So what? What is Cassandra's warning in this story? He he's he's who is Cassandra? Um, is 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 there anything we can draw from that? I I feel like there must be. I can't put a finger on it. Navarre exactly. is obviously resisting what what seems like the dominant faction in the orchard. We could so, start there. All right. So, okay. Then, in that case, then the then the then the warning is, don't muck about with the divinity cluster. Right. And he is putting himself in the position of the person who pays attention to the warning that don't muck around with a divinity cluster. Okay. Could be. Could be. I. I certainly. It would not be out of character for a science fiction show to take the position that says you know don't (laughs) 
don't mess about with things you don't understand mm-hmm. or you will create Frankenstein um, or have some other catastrophe, which I think is what we're expecting here from the Divinity Cluster. That's where it's headed, yes. Do we have any... I, I, I know you've already said this, so but, but from what we've seen so far, uh, Eccleston was obviously trying to free the Divinity Cluster. He was yes. trying to accelerate the process. The girls that were with him were crazy. Um, but they were that. They, they were that. <laughs> it's like, um, so obviously not everyone thinks it's bad. And I, I kind of get the impression that Paquette obviously wanted to stop Eccleston as well, but for different reasons. And in a different way, on, on a different schedule. Yeah. So it seems like at that time they were not in the game of trying to accelerate the the, the divinity cluster. I mean, everything they've been doing throughout this series, when we see them, when we retroactively fit it in and say, oh, this is the divinity cluster, everything about this seems to be somebody trying to get the divinity cluster to do whatever it is the divinity cluster wants to do, right? All the experiments from the... the, the, the uh, I can't remember which moon it was, Ganymede or from the man who sold the world. Um, Cut, the, the kid in Frozen. Callisto was the moon where there was a civil war and the history on uh, the man who sold the world. That all seems to be the orchard pushing that agenda. And yet for some weird reason, they also wanted to stop Eccleston. And I don't quite understand that. Well, again, factions. One faction wanted to do X. The other faction wanted to do Y. Yeah, but he seems to be on their faction. Yeah. And That's my good. point. But Navarre, so they were trying to stop their own ally is, yeah. I guess, basically what I'm getting well, at. Well, well, people don't always make – people aren't always consistent. <laughs> the epitaph of the scripts. Um. <laughs> no, do, you, do, you know, do, you know, do you know what Mark Twain said the difference between reality and fiction was? Um, I do not have that specific quote, but I'm going to guess that they have, uh, oh, let's see, uh, fiction is more, has to be more believable. Yes. That would, that would be probably on target for Mark, Mark Twain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking it was going to be more in line with a Hawkeye Pierce, which was, you know, dialogue is what you would have said if you had 10 minutes to think about it. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. And then, and, and they're in... Therein lies a, a that's a real problem. I'm not not just picking on Star Hunter now. All right, I'm I, this this is true. I mean, there's never a truer word spoken. You tell a story, it has to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you haven't done the job right. Because we don't care to hear about ordinary life where you go to the, you know, you you go crack an egg and find out that it's gone bad, and you don't get to make breakfast that day, and you know it 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 has to have it has to have a narrative it has to have a it has to have a payoff for the viewer and life doesn't have that it doesn't have it on a timetable it doesn't exist in a three part reconstructive narrative structure i mean it just it isn't and so yeah i'm i'm, I'm I, I'll pick when it doesn't seem to make sense but at the same time if you're going to try to make the argument I'm telling my story and it doesn't make sense because real life doesn't make sense. I think you're priming that pump to fail it is, is, you know, apart any other endemic problems. But if it's just, 
you know, yeah, all right, fine. I mean, sure, random coincidences do happen. Suddenly Dante's the father of the star child. <laughs> I cannot think of the name of the girl that was the mother of the star child in V to save my life. Oh, it's been so long since I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah me but, too. But I was thinking um, about, remember some down, many years ago, I was discussing a movie with um, someone I knew and showed him the movie and I let him borrow the tape of it and, he handed it back. He handed it back. Said it was completely unrealistic, and I and I pointed to a news story where something similar had happened. And I remember thinking, okay, but but like I said, that doesn't necessarily make for a a, a believable or satisfying mm-hmm. story, yeah. right? The, the, the story the narrative. Yeah. I mean, come on. How many yeah. times do you ever see where uh, two people, uh, one of them is you know, going to get married and the the woman is going to get married and these two people are out on a plane because the guy is like this grizzled old charter pilot who has to fly her to her wedding and the plane crashes and they have to survive on the island and by the end of it they've fallen in love and they live happily ever after despite the fact that the two of them have absolutely nothing in common whatsoever. I mean, that's fiction. (laughs) It is, yeah. It doesn't bear any reality resemblance yeah. to actual reality it's it's what's satisfying in the moment it's like oh of course they're going to fall in love and be happy and she's going to dump the man of her dreams who's been you know worried sick over yeah i've seen that movie a few times uh yeah i have too i one well at least one with harrison ford yeah um i <laughs> can't think of which one it was but I, I remember ross from friends was the guy who got dumped over in the end uh, i cannot for the life of me remember who the woman was yeah. um or what the film was, for that matter. Yeah. But listeners, anybody know? Comments, comments, tweet us, you, you, whatever. Let, let me know, because that's going to bug me. But not enough for me to look it up in IMDb. Okay. okay. Also, I have here some interesting quotes that stuck out in my mind. Like uh, Percy saying, Car, after all we've been through, blowing, blowing me up is downright rude. Rude and potentially yeah. very dangerous. Yep. Yeah. She did say that. And she also said, I'm a vindictive person. I'm a yeah, so, um, the, um, let's see, let me go through here. I'm so glad you recognize that I'm a genius. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that that was a third grade playground comeback. Oh, you're such a genius. I'm glad you know I am. (laughs) Yeah. I'm rubber in your glue, too. I made a note here about why didn't Percy reboot Caravaggio immediately after Blue Caravaggio came back. And my answer is plot. Yeah. Salomea, that's the uh, female raider. Her name is in the end credits. Um, Had to arrive and Percy had to depart as Caravaggio rebooted. While he was rebooting. Right. That's it. That's my best answer I could find about that. Didn't she give Caravaggio her message as she was getting well, exactly, into the shuttle? Exactly. She, she, oh. um, she had to arrive and depart. And so um, Caravaggio came right back up and she left right about the same time. And which and that allows for there to be a hole in the – be a gap in the record – so that Caravaggio doesn't know everything and therefore can't tell everything to Dante and Luke. But but what he could tell to Dante was that when when Dante says where's where's Percy and he goes I don't know she's not on the ship that would be the moment where he's supposed to go 
but she left you a message right. yeah. that said she'll be right back. Yeah. I mean that 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 is the, that was the weird part. I was waiting for that. Literally waiting for that when he's querying Caravaggio, where is Percy? She has to be there. Where is she? Where is she? And like Caravaggio, you were supposed to give him a message and you didn't. And and I don't I, I fail to see why they didn't. It makes no difference. Right. I mean, right. in fact, it would have been better because if he'd said that, if he had said that to Dante and Dante could see that she's leaving on the Raider ship, which obviously she is. He could have said, oh, that stupid girl, because then he would have known she was doing this voluntarily. Right. Yeah, that, right. that it would have, instead of she's not kidnapped, she's actually intentionally going with them, which could give him some give him something to, to complain about. And and would be you know consistent with with the inconsistent things that she does. So let's see. Do I have? I don't know that I have anything else here. Oh yeah. Okay. So so uh, Penny, um, Penny's work is in electronics. She's creating a device to capture a person's. Let's call it an essence. Yes, she is in a computer. And she's also a genetic researcher into the divinity cluster. The people didn't call it that at the time, but yes. Well, yeah, but well, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty broad spectrum of, of expertise that she's got there. And also, I'm just going to come out and call it um, a stupid thing to be doing to yourself if you're a researcher. That's assuming that she even really did it. And that's not just a phantasm of Dante's mind. So that I will simply say, watch the next two episodes. You'll get you'll get your answer. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 working on the assumption that it is not because what's the point of this buildup if it's not <laughs> right? So, um, you know, I I think I think we can safely say that that Travis is some sort of next link in this uh, genetic experiment. But you know, uh, I think all the other researchers apart from Eccleston, were, you know, doing a much better job by finding people and experimenting on them instead of experimenting on yourself while you're pregnant, which which either means she was intentionally experimenting on herself and disregarding the safety of her child, or she was intentionally experimenting on her own child. Either way, Penny does not come off well in this episode. No, she, no, no, she doesn't. You know, which, you know, probably Dante deserves that. But, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is not, uh, yeah. Like I say, I, I didn't, I really didn't hate the episode. So don't, don't get me wrong yeah, there. Yeah. It's just, I, I'm, I'm obviously they are lying this up. This one is clearly lining you up. There's, there's no doubt about it for what is to come They're They're, they've pulled the thread with Travis in and it's like, suddenly now it's not just this quixotic mission that has driven Dante to 20 episodes worth of stupid decisions. Um, it is, here it is, and gosh, it's all tied into the other stuff that seems completely and utterly unrelated. And by the way, your wife was an evil person. And, uh, and, I, and I'll go there. She's an evil person. You experiment on your own unburned child. You're not in my camp of good. <laughs> it's like particularly not in this... Not in this way. So, uh, yeah. I, I. How about this thread? Um, Travis remembers everything and knows his father's been looking for him. 
Yeah, it it might mean something. Obviously, it could be a manifestation of of his divinity cluster. No, no, no. This is what Salomea, the female raider, told Percy. I know. I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that. That's. But so Salomea, how does she know what all Travis remembers? That that's my point. In other words, just because Travis says he remembers his, in other words, the dialogue he remembers everything doesn't mean. He remembers everything that ever happened to him his entire life and can read you off, you know, can tell you page, page and verse of every word he's ever seen on every book, which kind of is what I got you were implying from that line. No, he remembers his cousin. Okay, great. He remembers his cousin. I remember my cousin when I was that age. Oh, not well, but I remember my cousin. And obviously Dante has tapped into the Raiders a few times looking for his son, Travis. So therefore... The Raiders would have told Travis, um, so it makes sense that Travis would know his father was looking for him. It what it means is that Travis doesn't want to be found by his father. That's exactly. that's what I take from it. Yes, yeah, what it means. It also may help to. But ex- they're all brainwashed, yeah. so. But it may also. Uh, this is something to keep in mind as you watch the last two episodes of this of this season. That will pay that off. Okay. The other see I'm. Don't have much else to say about this one. Um, but let's see here. Um, Tosca. Okay. Um, She's a weird one. Okay. Portrayed by Angie Hill. Okay. Whom, whom I looked up. Um, I did notice her accent. I looked her up. She is from Virginia, is her accent. He, she is primarily a model. She lives in London. And so she has been in some uh, movies and television episodes. Obviously, the three-part finale of the first season of Star Hunter and Star Hunter Redux. But um, also, if did you see um, De Lovely? No. This is the Cole Porter movie with Kevin Kline. Um, she played Irving Berlin's wife in that one, so she's had a little had a minor film career going as well. Okay. But she, I will say, she does um, seem to sell the evil scientist well. The evil, um, sort of, I'm inappropriately sexy with my lab rats scientist. Yes, yes. I did actually think that was weird. <laughs> I, I did think that was weird. I, I felt like that was just designed to give her they like to give everybody on this show a quirk all the characters that we see that aren't part of the the crew all are a little bit off and i just assumed that was hers that that was just you know shorthand for i've got a personality and i'm a real person and that mine is that i'm i like helpless men strapped in chairs mm-hmm. um let me, uh, all right, I'll ask this one. You know, that's the problem with you having seen the last episodes. I asked the question and I don't exactly want an answer. I, what I want is, this, is what do you think based on what it is? But they give Dante the Divinity Cluster cocktail. That's very important going forward. And in the hopes that he can now psychically communicate with his son, which as far as I can tell, he did not. As far as I can tell, yes. Okay, that that is that is my impression from this is that it just it just made him trippy, which could be narcotics just as easily, and she's telling him to reach into his mind, and all he does is he reaches into his own memories. 
which, you know, in a way is kind of, it's kind of important to note that Dante is still the caveman among us and even the divinity cluster can't make anything from him. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't see anything that made me think that the divinity cluster did anything to him. Obviously he's been given it. That may manifest itself, whether that's something that Travis wants or that something starts happening. I mean, all that could happen in future episodes because he is now, like Eccleston, uh, a contaminated man. But, you know, apart from Eccleston, everyone else and and the guy and he didn't get it. The guy who got it from the medallion. Um, uh, Harmon. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone else that's gotten the Divinity Cluster is basically blown up in a in an explosion of fire uh in this way so you know i'm i'm looking forward to the cliffhanger at the end of season one when dante explodes <laughs> uh, he, he will do he will do something well good luck dante <laughs> yeah. uh, but the divinity cluster will be important to going forward with regard to dante okay I goes to my major points. The next episode of this... We'll do both of them. Yes, this series are uh, Travis, that's episode 21, and Resurrection, it's episode 22, and Travis is in both of those. Now, we will, uh, we will do both of those at once, since that is, a, that is the finale. <clears throat> and, and I suspect that, considering how things go, I don't want to be left halfway through talking about what could go wrong in the next part. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get it all out of the okay. way. Okay, got it. All right. Um, all right. In that case, Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we are going to be looking at the cult classic movie, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.